pick up one of those cards on the way out and you kids let me tell you camp is a lot of fun and they they have it from all ages uh, still doing the first chance camp i guess and and have you got to have day camp this year where the little ones so from the little kids on up they're they're we've got it set up to where we're introducing camping to kids when they're small and it's a great benefit i remember going there when i was a kid it's been around that long and uh it's a great time and i encourage you uh, to take those cards and consider going to camp guys because it's a lot of fun so um thank you for coming out corin Libby, and, and the boys and, and always happy to have you with us so all right we will turn loose now for children's church 12 and under travis and patricia are having that this morning so come on up get on up kids and all over. We're going to lose half the crowd this morning. And ain't that a great thing to be saying uh, here? So, uh, certainly good to see all the kids. <coughs> all right. Praise the Lord. Good to have everybody here. Uh, again, uh, welcome. If you're uh, visiting and you don't have a home church and you're looking for a home church, I'd like for you to consider Locust Grove. We would love for you to be part of our family and let us become part of your family. And uh, it's always a privilege for me to share in God's word with you. And uh, certainly a pleasure to be here with you this morning. All right. Good group. Last week, of course, we celebrated the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. All the usual activities went on, didn't they? We had egg hunts and sunrise services and special church services. Kids did a great job with the hand bales. Uh, afterwards, I'm sure, had family dinners, probably more egg hunts, and, and uh, just a great time. And, and now we come to the Sunday after the resurrection. So I ask you, and I want you to just consider this. I'm not being critical, but has the celebration stopped? Has the celebration stopped? And if you answer yourself in your mind, yes, then I ask you why. Why has the celebration stopped? The uh, first Sunday after the resurrection, do we know what happened there? Does it come to mind instantly? Turn with me over to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. I'll have it on the, on the screen in the back. You've got a, a Bibles in the front of you in the pew if you don't have your Bible with you. They would like to follow along. John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23 gives us the exact events of that following Sunday. The same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had said so, or so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were his disciples glad when they saw the Lord. And then said Jesus unto them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. So Jesus appeared unto uh, the disciples gathered in the upper room on the following Sunday after his resurrection. Now we know that he appeared to some other people during the week in between. But this is where we are today. 
This is where we are today, that Jesus appeared to his disciples. They were in the room, closed up because the scripture says they were afraid because of the Jews. Well, you would have some concern considering the events of a week ago. That's fresh on our minds. About, about We can all probably go back and remember all of the highlights of our weekend from last Sunday during resurrection services. They were just as fresh on the disciples' minds. All of the things that they had experienced from being in the garden praying with Jesus and the uh, soldiers coming and taking him away and them all abandoning him and then the trial and then, of course, uh, the scourging that he received from Pilate and then ultimately the crucifixion and all of that hope that they had was dashed. I'm sure all of that was still fresh on their mind, it just being a week ago. So that's where we are. But what did Jesus do? Oftentimes, just as we encountered Jesus, Jesus came in the room and changed their plans, didn't he? He gave them hope. He empowered them with the Holy Spirit, all except for Thomas. Thomas was not there. Uh, and uh, he wouldn't believe, if we remember, until he was able to stick his fingers uh, in the nail holes and into Jesus' side where they had thrust the spear. But he gets his chance in a week for all that to happen. So the great news that Jesus rose from the dead, we can see has potential to change our plans. It changes our outlook on life and also gives us hope for the future. And I wonder how much time we spend after the resurrection looking for life where dead things are. Now that's what I want us to think about this morning. We have the buildup to resurrection just like we did this past week. And, and I'm just going to go over some things. You've got little kids, you were picking out dresses and suits, baskets. If you've got company coming over after church, you're planning out a menu. You're probably fixing a ham or some other type of meat and, and preparing a big meal for those people. So you're making those kind of plans. It's a buildup, a buildup, a buildup until the day comes. And then the day after, what is it? back to the same old, same old, isn't it? We do that at Christmas too, don't we? Um, except we start way early, like in October. The stores put all the Christmas stuff out, right? And they build us up all for three months, for three months to, till, the, till the 25th, and then we celebrate the birth of Christ, and then the following day, back to the same old, same old. Well, in many ways, that's what we see with the disciples here. They had been with Jesus for three years. And he had been teaching them about what was going to happen to them. And we're going to find out about that here in just a few minutes. And it was building up, building up, building up, all the way up to the point where it happened. And then what do we find a week later? It's kind of back to the same old, same old for the disciples. Wasn't it? They was locked in a room, afraid of the Jews, because of the memories of the, what they had from the previous Sunday. Well... We do the same thing, don't we? When we look in empty tombs, it's kind of like looking for the body of Jesus in the tomb after he's alive. Some would have asked her, hey, why are you looking for the living one here where you would expect to find the dead one? Turn with me over to Luke chapter 24, and I want to read the first 12 verses of this passage. Luke 24, 1 through 12. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, 
they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And, as they, and they were afraid, and they bowed down their faces to the earth. They said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words, and returned from the sepulcher, and told all these things unto the eleven, and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, and the other woman that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Then Peter, then arose Peter, and ran to the sepulcher, and stooping down, and beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves, and departed, wondering in himself at which was come to pass. I said last week we celebrated an empty tomb. We celebrated that hope, that hope of a resurrection, because that's what that means. That's what Jesus always taught about. Well, I've got some great news for you this week. The tomb is still empty. The tomb is still empty, and we still have the same reason to celebrate today as we did last Sunday. We still have the same hope today as we had last week. And we should carry that throughout the course of the year. Because that is what our faith and our hope of our future is built upon. The disciples did not have that joy, did they? And we can just imagine them shutting the door. Probably had, if they had curtain, they probably were drawn. Maybe only had one lamp lit so it wouldn't be drawing any attention in. Kind of, as they'd say today, on the down low. Didn't want anybody to know where they were there for fear that they'd be sought out. If we're lucky for a few short hours or maybe even a few days, we carry that hope. We carry that joy. We carry that reassurance of an empty tomb. But then what happens? Life creeps back in on us, doesn't it? What happened to the disciples? Life creeped in on them really quick. And life creeps back in on us and it seems like that that joy diminishes and we kind of go back to the same thing where we always had been. And that's what Jesus so very much wants for us to understand is that once we follow him, we never go back to what we had always been. That we always have that hope and that joy and that reassurance. But yet we do. You ever wonder why? Why, why is it that that I feel great on Resurrection Sunday. I have all this hope welling up inside of me. And, I, and the songs that we sing about the empty tomb and the resurrected body of Christ and, and, and the wonderful joy that that day brings. Why is it on Wednesday I'm feeling no different than I did the Wednesday before? Why is it that that doesn't stay with me? Well, I want to look at that this morning. And first thing I think is because we forget his words. We forget his words, and, and I'm not being critical of anyone in this room, myself included, because we find out that the people that walked and talked 
with Jesus for three years did the exact same thing. They forgot his words. The angel said to the ladies, remember how he told you. And he had. And he told them and the disciples in plain terms about what to expect with his death and what was going to happen. Matthew chapter 20, if you will, verses 18 and 19. Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priest and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to his death. Did that happen? Just exactly like he told us. Judas turned him over, even led the group to, to, to take him and arrest him. Judas was the, the lead man. So that part's true, right? Right? And shall deliver him to Gentiles to be mocked and to scourge and to crucify him. Did that happen? Yes. After the trials, he was turned over to Pilate. Pilate wanted to try to release him. The Jews continued to pressure him. And then what happens? Exactly what Jesus said. They're going to, they're going to whip me uh, worse than you've ever seen. And then they're going to crucify me. They knew what crucifixion was. So he's told them here. And that's exactly what happened. Then what does he say at the end? And the third day he shall rise again. The third, did it happen? Yes, it happened. But we forget, they forgot his words. And how often do we do that same thing? When we find ourselves in, in times of trouble, in times of despair, in times of uncertainty, do we not do the same thing and forget the words of Jesus? And forget the things that they could comfort us with? Because once they were inside the empty tomb, we see here that the two angels had to remind them, and it said that they remembered then. And it's amazing how that we can listen to the Lord's words maybe over and over and over and manage not to remember them. Celebration one day, long face the next. We also search in the wrong places for the wrong things. We search in the wrong places for the wrong things. Why do you seek the living among the dead, the angels asked. Why do you seek out life among those things that offer no life? And the idea, as we said earlier, could, could be looked at. Why are you seeking the living one, seeking Jesus, among some place where dead people stay? Because a tomb's not some place where you go look for someone alive, is it? I mean, obviously, we don't go to cemeteries to find live relatives. We know that our loved ones are buried there and they're dead. Their bodies are there. You don't go there seeking life. You go there to remember, to honor, as we do. But you don't go there seeking life. They weren't looking for someone that was alive, was they? Do we see that? Do we understand that? The women were not going to the tomb to find a live person. They were seeking the wrong places for the wrong things. They were searching for Jesus, but they were looking in the wrong place. So let me ask you this. Where do you look for peace? Where do you look for satisfaction in your life? Where do you look for security? Where do you look for a clean conscience, for wisdom, for meaning for our lives? Where do you search out? And ask yourself these questions. Where are you searching for these things? Because that's the common thing that we all search for. We all want that. We want guidance. We ask for, I ask for wisdom and knowledge every morning because my job, sometimes I have to make tough decisions. And I ask God to lead me so that I can make those decisions properly. Do it every day. Where do you seek out your wisdom? Where do you seek out your satisfaction? 
Where do you seek out your clean conscience that you, I hope you have? Because that's what we do. But are we seeking it out through God's word in a relationship with Jesus Christ? Are we seeking those things out through some worldly avenue? Because it makes a difference. Way too often it's, it's just like searching for Jesus in a tomb for the dead. We spend time chasing things that, that don't exist, and we spend time chasing those things in the wrong places to begin with. Because peace, satisfaction, security, wisdom, meaning of life, they're not out there in the world. And as we get older and we see our society change, I really want less of the world in my life and more of the Lord in my life because of where this world is going. I want less of their guidance and more of God's guidance on all of those issues because I don't trust the world. And they've given me reason not to. God has never given me reason not to trust him. And we need to think about that whenever we're seeking those things out. But we disbelieve the truth. Well, Rob, I believe the Bible. I didn't say you didn't believe the Bible. But we disbelieve the truth because man is the same now as he was always before. If any of us in this room were walking with Jesus for those three years and, and teaching with him, we would probably have the same type of reaction as they had. And we do today. We disbelieve the truth. Because once the good news was staring these ladies, the 11 disciples, in the face, they still didn't get it. They just didn't believe. They were wondering. And they really didn't accept it, even when they had heard it from Jesus beforehand, and they didn't really get it once it all happened. Because we remember something about what we read uh, John when they came into the upper room, right? Jesus came in and said, peace be with you, showed him his hands, and I'm going to go ahead and fill in the rest of that because we're going to look at Luke's account of this, okay? So turn with me over to Luke 24, verses 36 through 38. And it will shed a little more light to you. Luke 24, 36 through 38. And as thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. Now that's what John recorded, right? Peace. Peace be unto you. That's like we say, Hello, how are you today? Okay. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled? And why do, you, why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Or doubts, some of your translations will say. So these men and women who had been with Jesus for three years, had been taught by Jesus for three years about what was going to happen, and very recently he reminded them specifically what was going to happen. Whenever Jesus walks in the room, what do they do? They're terrified. I could just imagine. It would be, be like cockroaches when the lights came on. They would go everywhere. They would be scared to death and no place to run. Remember, they were all, they were all pulled up in there together, scared of the Jews, and then here all of a sudden this ghost comes in and says, Peace be unto you. And what did John say? He had to show them his hands. Look here, it's me, guys. It's okay, it's me. They didn't believe the truth. Jesus taught them the truth, but they didn't believe the truth. And their reaction to Jesus proves it. 
because it scared them to death. They were terrified. Do you understand what I'm saying? They were terrified. They didn't believe. What about us? Think about this. Teachings in the Bible. We have read them. We learned them. We may have even taught in class. Sunday school, vacation Bible school, teaching kids at home. We know these things, right? Because we've learned them. But do we still find ourselves acting like the Word of God is not true? And everybody in here, myself included, at some point in their lives can say, yep, I sure have. I, ha I knew the truth and I acted like the truth was not true for whatever reason. And I'm not condemning you. I'm just, I'm just showing you what mankind is like that Jesus pointed that out through the scriptures to us. That sometimes we don't even believe the truth. Now, the truth is something that's a little more objective today, isn't it? Because the truth out there is whatever the person says is the truth. And how dare you question it? This is true. It has never changed. And let me, let me reiterate that again. God's word has never changed. The truth of God's word has never changed. What about the truth of the world? Have we seen, have we witnessed change in truth in just the last 20 years? Sure we have. Sure we have. And it's something to remember. The problem isn't that God hasn't spoken clearly to us. And it's not that we haven't been able to understand what God is saying and what Jesus taught. The problem is sometimes we choose not to believe what he says because we're not willing to give ourselves up, not willing to give that part up because if I believe that and I act like that's true, then I can't, and you fill in the blank. And I'll just have to ask for forgiveness because I just can't help myself. I just can't stop. I don't want to go there. But what we're doing, let's just call a duck a duck or however you want to phrase you want to use it. At that point in time, we're choosing not to believe the truth of God's word willfully. They didn't believe the truth. Jesus right in the room with them. We know how this story goes, don't we? We know that the tomb is still empty, right? And we know that he says he's coming back. And that's why we're here, isn't it? We come here to learn and to offer up our worship because we have faith that these words are true. If we have faith that these words are true, then why don't we, why don't we make ourselves follow them like we believe they're true? To follow all of God's word and not just picking out some of it and, and hoping that we can rely on, well, I'm sorry, I just couldn't do that. We find what we don't expect, too, sometimes when we're seeking out Jesus. This is kind of a fun part here. When he does appear to these ladies, if we remember, they're, they're what? What, does, what did Gospel John say that they were doing? They were carrying spices, right, that they had assembled. Do we know why they were carrying spices? Because they were going to have the Roman soldiers open the tomb back up, and they could attend to what? The dead body of Jesus. They weren't even going to the tomb to find someone alive. They were going to the tomb with spices to find someone dead. And can you imagine the look in their eyes when they see Jesus? And maybe he asked them this question, though the scriptures doesn't say it. We can imagine it. That should be my kind of look. 
Rob, what are you carrying there? What's in that jar? My lunch. I wouldn't want to say the spices that I was going to use to put on your dead body, Jesus. But that's exactly, they were busted. They were busted. The people that had been following Jesus for three years and he told them that he was going to rise on the third day, they were coming bringing spices to prepare the dead body that they didn't believe the truth. Following me now? Did that make them bad people? No. Not at all. Did that mean that they had no benefit from following Jesus those three years? Absolutely not. I'm just saying that's where we are as people. That's how short our memories are sometimes as people. And that's the wonderful thing about Jesus Christ as our Savior is we get things that we don't expect when we go finding Jesus. And he can do things that we don't expect when we're looking for Jesus. And it's the same for us. If we go looking for Jesus, you can expect to be surprised because God's thoughts are not our thoughts. God's ways are not our ways. Thank goodness. And we should expect to be surprised. Some things that we shouldn't be. Well, that's part of the next that we'll be surprised. Listen, over the centuries, enemies and skeptics of Jesus claim to try to come up with explanations for an empty tomb. One of those ideas is that Jesus' followers faked it, okay? Faked his resurrection. Somehow they snuck up, uh, snuck his body out of the tomb. They got by those Roman guards. They managed to roll that big stone away. They grabbed Jesus' body, snuck him out of the tomb, and then they were able to find some guy that looked just like Jesus, that knew everything that Jesus had taught, and knew everything that he was supposed to do who just happened to have a couple of holes in his hands and they, he come along and, and was the substitute for Jesus. That's some of the theories. That's ridiculous if you think about it. You know why it's ridiculous? Because what we just went over. If I was going to be trying to con conspire to, to have him removed, wouldn't that mean I would have to believe something that Jesus said? They didn't even believe that Jesus was going to be raised. Because where were they? They were scattered. They didn't believe it because when he did show up to them, it scared them to death. So why would I conspire to do something that I didn't believe somebody said was going to happen anyway? But there was a group that believed what he said, wasn't it? The Pharisees. Why? Because they asked Pilate to secure the, to secure the tomb. They knew that Jesus had said that I'm going to rise in three days and they wanted to make sure that the people didn't steal his body. They was the disciples was the least of their worries. And they secured that tomb and in spite of that security, the ones that didn't believe Jesus, didn't follow Jesus, had more faith in what he said than the ones that did. But that was overcome as well. So they were surprised. Now let me ask you another question. I was thinking about this when I was going over this in my office this morning. Why was the stone rolled away? Do we think that Jesus needed the stone to be rolled away to come out of the tomb? Because he didn't need it to go in the door to go into the upper room for the disciples, did he? That stone was rolled away for our benefit, folks. It wasn't rolled away for Jesus' benefit. It was rolled away for the disciples' benefit. 
Because if Jesus would have just left the tomb and they never unsealed the tomb, how would anybody ever know that he had risen to proclaim like the women did to go back and tell the disciples? They wouldn't. And it's for our benefit, not for Jesus's. We're limited by those things. Jesus is not limited by anything. And that's what we have to remember. And that's why we can continue to celebrate an empty tomb because of the factual things about that. And that brings us to something else about the surprise, surprise of our actions. When we come looking for Jesus, we'll be surprised. And I'm going to run over just a couple of things for you. And I want you to think about it. And there's going to be things that I don't cover that's going to pop up in your mind. Ever had an obstacle removed in real life that was stopping you from moving forward? Ever have a door open for you you didn't even know was closed? Have you ever paid a bill that you were sure you didn't have enough money to pay? That's because Jesus is real. That's because when we seek out Jesus, when we realize the joy of an empty tomb, we realize the power of God. Because there are other things. Jesus is real always. Deep down, I think that we need reassurance of that. And I'm a, again, I'm not being critical. I think deep down, deep in our heart and our soul, not saying we don't believe, not saying that we don't have faith, but if I just, if I just knew, if I just had something I could put my hand on, touch, feel, hold, <coughs> hug, whatever. If I just knew he was real, some kind of reassurance, we have our faith. And listen, those desires to, to be reassured, they're good desires. I'm not knocking them. They're from God. But oftentimes what we do is we ask for that reassurance that God is real, and we again looking for the wrong things in the wrong places. Because when you look around this room, and you may know people that's not in this room that have been in contact and have been touched by the Lord in many different ways. That experience is real. It's as real as it gets. When we have brothers and sisters praying for a miraculous healing and it comes, that's real. It's not by chance. It's not a coincidence. And we have that. We have people that have had bad diagnosis that have had diagnoses that baffled the doctors later on. We don't know how it happened. I know how it happened. And I didn't stay in the Holiday Inn Express last night, okay? I know how it happened because what the Bible tells me happens. Because Jesus is real all the time. And we have to remember that. I want to give you something else uh, as far as the proof of this. And I want you to turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And listen to what Paul says here in verses 3 through 8. And he's really writing this to all of us so that we can have reassurance about the fact that Jesus is real, always. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, or Peter, and of the twelve, and after that he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, 
of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. It means they've passed away. And after that, he was seen of James and all of the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. And we know where he saw him, right? On the road to Damascus. So Paul is writing about all of the evidence of him being seen, Jesus being seen alive from everybody, from the ones that followed him for three years, all the way up to himself. The scriptures confirm that Jesus is real. Because listen, when I challenge you to go back and look in your history, Jesus claimed he came from heaven. He claimed that he, in fact, was the Son of God living among us. Claimed that the Old Testament had told about him hundreds of years before. He claimed that he was going to lay down his life, lay it down, give it up. Not, no one would take it, okay? He would lay it down and then take it back again. And he had the authority to do so. He claimed to know beforehand that he was going to be crucified. Didn't we just read that in the Gospel of Matthew? He claimed that on the third day he would rise again. And he's not the only person that has made claims such as this. But he is the only person that has made good on his claims. We understand that? And it's true because he rose from the grave. We have an empty tomb to provide it. Because listen, there are myriads of scientists, myriads of doubters that would love nothing better than to find the tomb of Jesus Christ. Jesus of Nazareth to disprove all of this guff, they call it. All of this nonsense. And they look. Don't think that people are not out there looking for his tomb. Some kind of evidence that he's still in a grave somewhere. But guess what? They have never found it. You know why? Because it is empty to this day. And it will always be empty. And that's the, the wonderful thing about it. Matthew chapter 28, as we finish up, 28 verses 6 and 7. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you unto Galilee. There shall you see him. Lo, I have told you tomb is still empty folks if you believe it I want to encourage you this morning to live like you believe that to live your life like you believe that the tomb is still empty and that God is still in control and that the promises that he makes will come true and he will return and he will take those members of his church, his body the one that he established back to be with him just as scriptures say and if you doubt, I asked you why this morning. I ask you why do you doubt? Is there not enough evidence that the Bible is true? Ask yourself, for those that, that maybe are outside of Christ, and I'm not, I'm not being critical, I'm just wanting you to consider. Is it that you do not believe that the Bible is true? Because there is all kinds of evidence to show the, the truthfulness, the legitimacy the accuracy, the trustworthiness of the Bible. So if you don't believe that the Bible is true, if you don't believe God's word is true, I can work with you on that. 
Now, if you believe it's true, but yet you decided you're not going to obey it, then that's something that you and the Lord will have to work out. I can't make you respond to the truth. Okay? I can't make you respond to something you believe is already true. That's something that you and God and the Holy Spirit's going to have to work out. But I can pray for you. I can encourage you to do those things. I can encourage you to think about a relationship with Christ. Why do we act like sometimes we don't believe the truth, I wonder? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except through me. Belief or disbelief. And here I want to say this one more time. Belief or disbelief does not make the truth any less true. It's truth regardless whether I believe it, whether you believe it or not. It has no bearing on it. Truth will always stand the test of time. And that's what we have to realize and understand. Are you here this morning without Jesus as your Savior? That's the question. One of the questions. Are you here this morning without Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you believe the truth and you believe that Jesus is the Son of the living God and you are willing to confess Him as your Savior and repent of your sins, and following the example that the scriptures lays down for us, that you will confess him as Lord and Savior, repent of your sins, be buried with him in baptism, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and you will receive forgiveness of sins. You will be raised a new creation in Christ, a new person to walk forward, new, following after the lessons that Jesus taught. And we'll do that until he either returns or we're called away in death. That opportunity is coming right now. As we sing. Now maybe you're here this morning and you realize, you know what, I'm a lot more like those disciples than I would have given myself credit to believe. I don't believe the truth sometimes. I don't live my life the way that I should. I forget his word sometimes. I would have been carrying spices to that tomb just like the women were. And hey, it happens to all of us. But here's the great thing about it. Once we realize the error, we can change that. We can repent of that and move on and move forward and, and put that behind us. And we can teach somebody else, you better leave that jar at home. Trust me, I've got a little experience in this area. And we can use that to benefit others. So we're going to sing this hymn of invitation this morning. Come unto me. And that's what Jesus wants. He just wants us to come to him because he's always been there for us. Okay, And he just extends that invitation to you. We're going to sing uh, just the uh, first and the fourth verse of this hymn. And if you have a decision to make, I want to encourage you to come as we stand and sing. <laughs>